0: This is the Dave Glover Show with Dave, Rachel, and Kevin. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring Outlet, the flooring experts. I got floor.com.
1: back, guys. DGS405. Happy Tuesday to you. Every Tuesday, we do the Think Tank. Uh, Judge Tom Frawley and Representative Ian Mackey, you guys have become sort of a
2: little team here. I like, I like it. it. Yeah. It's absolutely. good. Yeah. Um I like him being the leader, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Those coattails. Yeah, unlike you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's start uh, big and broad on the federal level. A lot going on today, actually. Uh, as we speak, I can see President Joe Biden giving a statement. He is uh, speaking along with Vladimir Zelensky, uh, who came in uh, from Ukraine to, uh, to quite candidly ask for more money to support their war with Russia, uh, as I understand. Understand it, and you guys can correct me if I'm misspeaking. The GOP side are holding it up. Uh, I, I don't. Some of them have a problem with Ukraine, but most of them say, "Yeah, I'm fine with the Ukrainian aid." Let's. It's a. It's a very inexpensive way, especially blood uh, uh, and some treasure to fight Russia. So let's do that. But we're not going to do it unless we get the border with Mexico straight. So that is on hold. Uh, Vladimir Putin has put out a statement. He is watching with great interest what happens between Biden and Zelensky. Also, and this one kind of surprised me, it's only been about six weeks uh, since the October 7th Hamas attack and uh, President Biden was fully behind Israel. Do whatever you need to do. We got your back 100% and said today that he spoke to uh, Netanyahu in very frank terms and said, you're losing the support of the world and you're losing the support of uh, the United States and you need to change the way that you are making war against Hamas and stop just kind of indiscriminately bombing and a two to one ratio of two civilians in Gaza losing their life for every Hamas fighter. So that's a big change as well. Uh, Guys, jump in anywhere. Ian.
0: Uh, well, I mean, with the Ukraine issue um, and really holding up the aid to Israel and Ukraine, I mean, it's really the definition of playing politics when you insert an unrelated issue to that. I mean, inserting um, whatever level of funding or whatever level of forces you want on the, our southern border with Mexico into the discussion of whether or not we should use our resources to defeat Vladimir Putin conflating those two issues is is the key definition of playing politics. That's exactly what people hate about politicians and what politicians do is distracting from issue A with issue B. And so, um, I mean, and actually one of the best um, and I think most insightful parts of watching The Republican debate play out um, has been when you get a pause in these two hour debates now that only have four people who aren't going to end up being president. But when you get to actually listen to Nikki Haley, who has extensive foreign policy experience at the United Nations and uh, others, talk about how important it is that we support Ukraine and what that means for the world, for China and Taiwan, what it means for Russia and their uh, influence in the world, and how important it is that we support them and help them win this war. I think that's been, you know, really kind of one of the biggest um, sticking points in that party in their debate so far.
2: Yeah. Um, I I agree with Ian. It's politics um, and what makes it very sad for me, and I'm probably the oldest guy in the room, probably three times as old as Rachel, but in any event... Back in the day, people reached across the aisle with bipartisanship. And now you see McCarthy, whether you like him or you don't like him, he's leaving Congress because it's so dysfunctional. Not his word, but basically, in summing it up, one word. And so, as Ian says, everybody connects issue A with issue B, and you don't get A if you don't want B. Tommy Tuberville would be exhibit A to that, Mm -hmm. where he he basically blocked a whole bunch of... uh, military appointments in return for uh, in return for, because the, the the military would fly women around out of states to get abortions where the state that they were in wouldn't allow it. These are all, as Ian said, they're connected and they're really not, in yeah. my opinion.
1: I, um, I, I'm very worried about Israel for the future because uh, the Hamas attack on October 7th, it, it just— beyond horrific, and uh, for the people, I've not seen any of the images or the videos, but I've heard from people who have, and it just is literally unimaginable. Uh, But then, since then, I have been surprised by the support for not so much Palestine, but the support even for Hamas, and the vitriol towards Israel. And I think that the way they have gone about this— Uh, Right or wrong, good or bad, fair or unfair has caused a lot of negative sentiment toward Israel globally from people who maybe didn't feel that way before. And maybe it's not justified, but perception is reality. I'm really worried about. And when, when Joe Biden says to Netanyahu, you have the most conservative government Israel's ever had and you have no interest in a two-state system and you need to get everyone in line for a two-state solution. Man, these are these are big, powerful things happening right now.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, trying to sort out domestic Israeli politics as a part of this, as Americans oh. who – I mean, I know lots of folks, you know, especially in our region, have – lots of connections to Israel to have, you know, immediate family members that live there or have lived there, or spent time there. And I know that's a, a large amount of people. But for so many of us, myself included, I mean, I, what I get is from consuming news and trying to sort through in my mind as I go about my day to day, what domestic Israeli politics had the influence that that has and the, the position of Netanyahu and his government and whoever's in his cabinet and uh, what he wanted to do with the judiciary and and how he's, you know, All of those issues tied up into the foreign policy discussion obviously puts our country um, in a tough spot when it comes to him. I don't think there's any gray area when it comes to supporting Israel and when it comes to, you know, obviously condemning Hamas. And it's been uh, just atrocious to see folks, as you said, really try to apologize for those actions and explain those actions from Hamas as as something that was somehow provoked or somehow legitimate. Um, It continues, I think, we see this with other sorts of... um, you know, theories that are on the fringe when they hit social media, they grow. I think more people um, have come to that position since yeah. October seventh, not less. Unfortunately,
2: the other part that's really sad is the um, the way that Americans who are uh, of either of either descent are, are treating uh, anti-Semitic views and treating uh, the Jewish population or the um, and not, not the Hamas people, but the, the people of that um, orient, orientation, if you will, as if they're involved in this. They're, they're not. Yeah. Just because you were born a Jewish doesn't mean you support everything Israel does. Just because you were born in the Middle East, does you support everything that goes on there. And I, that saddens me that we yeah. can't separate ourselves as individuals from what goes on in countries just because we might have the same religious belief or the same theoretical or political belief.
1: Let's talk about this... abortion case it is sad and it's it's legally fascinating uh, as i understand it again correct me if you have different uh, facts but this this woman is uh carrying a, a fetus that has this condition that almost is certainly uh, not going to be viable and there's some chance that it could cause her to not be able to have children in the future and could even endanger her life the lower court said you have permission to get an abortion they uh went to the supreme court uh in the middle, the attorney general threatened to uh, to arrest any doctors or hospital staff who assisted, and then the Supreme Court came out with an opinion that basically said, uh, this is awful. We feel terrible for you, but what you're going through does not meet the criteria for our state law about the mother's life being in danger. So no, we have, uh, we reverse the lower court, and you cannot have an abortion. So there's the decision... And then there's just, even as a man, and I certainly, uh, I really do think this is an issue where I will defer to women for obvious reasons. But even as a man, it's creepy when you have a woman standing in front of a court waiting to find out what she can do with her body, regardless of if you're pro-life or pro-choice. Seeing it happen is different than the conceptual argument we've had for 40 years now.
2: Well, this isn't just seeing it happen, Dave. This is a woman who's putting her own health at risk, if I understood the story. Plus the child's uh, not going to be viable. So uh, and I had one of these cases when I was in juvenile in that the lady bore the child, and then she left and left the child in the hospital. And the child had no brainstem, had no chance of survival, no chance of anything. Uh, and the question then becomes, because because mother had absconded, absconded, but had disappeared, what do we do? So the division of family services takes control of the child, and the child comes. Uh, the issue comes to the judge, and he or she has to decide: Do you authorize or not the child to be taken off of life support? So all we've done in my opinion, with handling it this way, is we've just moved the problem down the road to a different person in a different vein, meaning do we keep the child alive or not? Now, God forbid, the child survives easily but not functionally, and the mother dies. Now we've lost two people, potentially.
0: And then, I hate using names and calling names, <laughs> then you have judgmental, egotistical fascists who will call that abortion after birth. And who will call that infanticide and will accuse that judge of murder and who will, you know, just throw rhetoric around to satisfy an ever shrinking base, um, but one who decides elections uh, in primary elections to continue to move this forward. It's just it's I can't imagine. Like I just it, I can't imagine the picture I, that like you said, that moment where she's standing in front of those judges or where her lawyers or her attorneys are standing in front of those judges. Um, it's just, it's unfathomable. I just can't believe that that is our country in 2023.
2: Dave, we're, what Ian says is, I think, one of the most remarkable pieces in that. When you're sitting there on the bench as a, one judge or the three-judge panel, and that person who's asking for relief is standing in front of you, and it's not an abstract issue, all of a sudden, life becomes very real. You know, you Ian, you and I can sit and talk about what we think theoretically ought to be the case. But when that woman or guy or man, whatever it is is standing in front of you and looking at you asking for you to help him or her, that's real. And if doctors, uh, their oath is do no harm. I think that's our oath as judges also is do no harm. And if we can't focus as a society on do no harm, there's something, in my opinion, drastically wrong. Yeah.
1: Very powerful. Very powerful. Uh, we'll be back with more of the Think Tank after this. Welcome back, guys. DGS 423 uh, Think Tank. We have Representative Ian Mackey and Judge Tom Frawley. We are just talking about this uh, this terrible case in Texas with the, the woman who's carrying the fetus. that it appears not to be viable. And my understanding is that she has now gone to another state uh, where she can legally get the abortion. So where do we stand in Missouri? I really don't know. What is the status of the law if this were to happen here?
0: Well, we have a total and complete ban, um, including when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to cases of rape and incest and other situations, um, you know, it depends on who you ask about the life of the mother aspect of it. There is, uh, you know, what would I guess you could say a technically a carve out in there. Uh, you know, there's some a really extremely limited language about saving the life of the mother. But that language is so vague and so untested that most doctors uh, are not willing to sacrifice a class B felony, which is several years in prison uh, and their profession, um, you know, in most cases, um, you know, we in the St. Louis area are close to Illinois. Um, I know, you know, during our last U.S. Senate race, we had a story of a woman from Joplin who was seeking care in Kansas. Folks have. Usually just gone to states where it's easier and less government-sanctioned care. Um, You know, I've heard stories of uh, women, you know, doctors waiting until women's vital signs are dropping and they look like they're actually near death before intervening because that's kind of what the law requires. That's where we are. I could absolutely see a case like this happening in a state like Missouri or anywhere else that has a law similar to Texas, which we do.
2: I would agree with Ian. I could see a case like this happening. Without a doubt now how it would be resolved by the Supreme Court, Court of Appeals, trial judge, whatever is a whole separate question. But I think our law is as narrow as you suggest. And um, uh, I don't know what uh, – to get back to the point earlier, but I, if that appeared in front of me, I don't know what I would do. I can intellectually discuss it with you guys right now, what I think I would do, but I don't know. I mean and when my, am I going to hold a doctor – convict him. I mean, let's get 12 people in the box and figure a jury. Let's see if they're going to convict him of anything, mm-hmm. let alone a class B felony. And if he's convicted, what am I going to do? Am I going to lock him up? Yeah. Am I going to give him a felony conviction, which means he loses his license to practice law if he's a whatever uh, type of doctor, OB/GYN, whatever. I I think the consequences, the ramifications, I guess is a better word, are, are incredibly numerous and scary to To basically put together,
1: we had uh, John Hancock on yesterday during this hour, and we talked about this case. And you know, KX is not ninety seven one, but it's still you know pretty conservative. And we had several phone calls from uh, people who started their comment with "I am a Republican" and saying, "This is terrible. This is exactly what." this woman doesn't need. It's what the Republican Party doesn't need. And uh, as John was saying, and I I tend to agree with him that, of course, there are some people on the very extremes on both sides. But I think everyone agrees that at some point and it's at at what point that that fetus uh, has its own rights. And is it this many weeks or this many days or or what have you? But uh, this seems like the The car that the dog caught and didn't know what to do with it, that with uh, the Dobbs decision and uh, now Republicans seem to be kind of moving away from it, hopefully because it's in their heart to do so. But politically, it's also hurting them.
0: Yeah, well, it is hurting them. And and, I mean, Roe was the compromise. Roe v. Wade was the compromise. Viability is the compromise. Life, breath, being able to survive outside of the body that you are in. That is the compromise position. And then, of course, you've got instances um, later in your pregnancy that involve health complications, such as what the woman in Texas is going through. Um, You know, I hope it's hurting the Republicans. Um, You know, obviously, I think there's been a bit of a Dobbs effect in elections since that decision. But I don't know to what extent voters are prioritizing. The issue of abortion over economic issues over issues now of foreign policy that seem to be dominating our discussions. I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, to what extent uh, that issue is going to rise to the top of a voter's mind in a race for Congress or in a race for the presidency or in any other sort of uh, decision that a voter might be making. I'm not. I, I would hope that it would, um, but I'm not sure to what extent a voter connects. What happened to that woman in Texas or what happens to a woman in Missouri under our law and whether or not that dictates if I vote for Donald Trump or not? I just don't see that. I don't see a lot of people making that connection. It
1: strikes me maybe because of my age or because I'm now politically engaged and I'm paying attention, which I didn't when I was younger. But we have so many critical, important issues, domestic and foreign. And I'm sorry, but we have for the presidency two terrible choices. Like it's hard enough to make a choice if we had two great choices. Like, oh, I could live with this person or this person, but I'm gonna put my support, my my money behind this person. But the two choices we have now, I wouldn't feel good about pulling the lever for either person.
0: We mm-hmm. always we always want who's not running though. I mean, that's that's my whole beef with the whole third way, third party thing. We always want who's and you guys were talking about the rock earlier and, and other folks. we always want who's not in the race. Because it's so easy, it's the easiest argument to make that we want somebody who's not in the race. Um, as soon as Nikki, Hale, you know, as soon as uh, Trump announced, oh, what? Let's talk about Ron DeSantis. Well, he's a flop. Okay, now let's talk about Nikki. Uh, it's a flavor of the week sort of deal. It's over and over and over and over. Once you get scrutinized, once you're in the spotlight, once you open your mouth, once you make statements that don't come out perfectly, oh, all of a sudden we don't like you anymore. Oh, all of a sudden you're you're. It's not going to work out. Uh, Joe Biden is a great president. He has done so many amazing things that he gets very little credit for because you know, Terry he, because, Bradshaw
1: was a hell of a quarterback, but I wouldn't want him
0: starting for my team. Well, <laughs> and that's fine. But uh to, but it's I guess what I'm saying is the criticism is it's really easy to criticize somebody who's in the spotlight 100 percent of the time yeah. against somebody who has yet to face really any scrutiny. Yep. I hear you. I,
2: <laughs> I agree with that statement. I don't necessarily agree with that. Biden's done a great job. But having said that, what I think drives the train in voters, is what is the the hot-button issue of the day. Whatever's going to be big in on various primary, like Ohio, yeah. came right on the on the, on the uh, aftermath, if you will, of yeah. the abortion decision, and they enacted the law that basically was yeah. much more protective. I think the longer we go, whatever the issue are, that whether it's foreign policy, whether it's domestic, whether it's economic, whether it's abortion or whatever else, that is up in November is going to affect, if not control, how people vote. Because yeah. that's what that's what they go to the polls with forefront in their mind. They forgot the, the issue of two days ago.
1: Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for being here this year. Have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas to both of you. You too. Thanks.
2: You did mean we're done for the year?
1: <laughs> You're done. <laughs> okay, we talked about what stories we're going to do here. And, Rachel, I'm going to have you do one that we didn't talk about The teens uh, spending so much time on social media, even more than we're thinking, though.
3: Yeah, there's a new study that shows the teens are, quote, almost constantly on TikTok and YouTube.
1: Isn't it crazy that we live in a day and age where we would be like, hey, go watch television. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know? As if it mattered, right? Like Like, go watch some episodes of some mindless television show better than just, you know, doom scrolling, boom, 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 boom for hours at a time.
3: You know what, that you just reminded me of, Dave? I keep seeing these stories about. like, have you guys? I'm sure it doesn't come up in your guys' algorithms because you're grown men, but I get a lot of like, here's me getting ready for the day. Here's my skincare routine. Here's my makeup routine. And that's all well and good. It's fun. I personally really like to watch it, uh, especially if the personality is entertaining. But that has seeped into like middle schoolers are doing it now. And there are all these middle school influencers who have like a 20 mm. step skincare routine mm. and a 20 step makeup routine. And it's like, well, they're not hurting themselves, you know. Right. Technically, no harm is coming to them, but psychologically, yeah. there's something a little messed up about the fact that a 12-year-old thinks they need to do that much to work on their perfect 12-year-old skin. It's just—it's a weird thing. It's like, hey, stop stop taking care of yourself and go outside and g- get dirty or something. One of
1: the worst things that's, that's happened since my childhood— is what I think is like the death of childhood, that it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter, even physically, like the hormones in our food and such are are causing kids to go through puberty, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. And we uh, have gone from our parents being parents and maybe uh, didn't pay quite enough attention to us to... Being helicopter parents and hovering and not letting kids be kids to, you know, little girls doing makeup tutorials. And it's just, it's really, really sad to me. And I know that Wheels is big for you. Like every generation thinks that they had it better than the last. Our music was better. Our childhood was better. I think it's i I, just childhood is such a magical time and you only get it once. And when it's over, it's over. There's no going back. And you don't realize when you're a kid because you're like, hey, how old are you? I'm nine and a half. You, you can't wait to be older, yeah. not realizing that you're wishing away the best part of your life. And it just makes me sad. It's sad enough when we do it as parents, but it really pisses me off when we're doing it for money, when we're marketing to our little kids to have a skincare routine. Yeah. You know, let them be goofy, stupid, no-responsibility little kids for absolutely as long as you can. Because guess what? They're not going into their teens with it. They'll be lucky to make 10. Yeah. Being true kids.
4: Such a weird balance because I think our definition of it would be different than, I don't even know how far back I'd want to go, but, I mean, we've almost come to the I'm trying to think of the right way to put this because I'm trying to connect two things. We've gone from children being labor. They're just workers. That's what they did. They worked. That's they, why
3: you had kids, was to and, help them on the and, farm.
4: Right. And, and not just that, but like factory workers and all that. And we had to make laws to protect children from being forced forward into adulthood, essentially, right? I mean, mm-hmm. from being taken advantage of. And then we go all the way away from that, and this is not necessarily doing that from a work standpoint, but it's coming back to that same idea of them being pushed into older things sooner than they should be. It's a different way. It's not like Mm -hmm. you're not exploiting them with their physical labor, right? You're not making them stand on a street corner selling newspapers or whatever. But it's the same idea, right? Forever. Kids were just labor. That was it. That's what they were. And how many of those kids – and I think that's where I come back to Dave – so many of our recent generations were the sweet spot. Yeah. You know, maybe it started with, you know, our parents' generation or my parents, probably not so much yours because they had to live through mm-hmm. the Great Depression and all that stuff. My parents were right after World War II. But, like, their generation, my generation is kind of the sweet spot for that, but it's not really surrounded by that historically.
1: They uh, There's something I just read an article about. Isn't it funny how something that people did naturally – has now become something that psychiatrists talk about. And it's called benign neglect. And it's basically the way that my generation of parents parented, minus the belt whippings. I, I think that our, my generation of parents were way too spanky and whippy. That's my personal opinion. But outside of that, What they practiced would now be called benign neglect, which basically means allowing your kids enough rope to learn lessons on their own Mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, honey. Let me put that puzzle together for you. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Here's a better way to do that. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. You just let 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 them do it. Let them do it. They'll figure it out.
4: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's been a lot of fear mongering over the last 20 or 30 years. And that fear goes into the minds of parents, and then that 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 impacts how you parent, yeah. And then that's going to continue until we break that cycle of everything's scary. You can't let your kids go play; they might get abducted. You can't let your kid go play; they might die from falling. Well, yeah, but it's not really likely. Like on a on a on a percentage chance, it's not going to happen. It it does happen, you know. Like, but how many cases a year do you hear of those types of things compared to three hundred thirty million people living in the country? But yet. We've been told for so long, be scared, be scared, be scared. This stuff's scary. It's on TV shows. It's on the news. It's now, now it's TikTok, Twitter, you name it, too. But, I mean, this has been building for a long time, that mentality. Be afraid of the world.
1: You know, I wonder, though, uh, that if the next generation did go back to, hey, go out and ride your bike. Now that they've seen the big city, are they going to, anyone going to want to play sandlot football when you have these <laughs> VR helmets and all the uh, worlds that you can go to and, you know, uh, anyone in the world's content at the literal touch of a screen. I, I, I'm afraid that that, that the horse, that horse is out of the barn that we're not going to go back to that at any time soon. It could be.
4: Um, I, I feel like, Every kid is nat- is somewhat naturally a little different. We joke about how all of our brains are a little different. Same thing for kids. Some of them are just active and they want to go run and they want to go do things. And there are others that are more passive. My kid was pretty passive. She didn't want to run around outside and play sports and get in the dirt and the mud. She didn't like that, but she liked the intellectual stimulation. She liked you know various videos or computer games that made her think or whatever. And I think there's more for every kind of kid now, but you can't be the outdoor free active kid because you're not allowed to anymore. And by, I mean, by your parents, yeah, you know, or by a generation. And look, it's, it's our generation that did it, or at least we furthered it.
1: The thing is, we don't know what effect this is going to have, right? Because this is the the first couple of generations who didn't have any kind of free wielding childhood. And so we can, you know, we can guess that, oh, I bet they're going to be more this or less that, but we don't really know. Because they're still in their 20s, yeah. and they're not fully, fully grown up into middle age, and and we don't know how that's going to affect them. So,
4: Well, maybe it'll be, I mean, look, all of us are some combination of being what our parents were and pushing back against other things, right? Yeah. What we didn't like, or maybe they're going to go push back the other way because they didn't like that part.
1: Could be. 453 DGS, a couple minutes left here. I have a real old man thing I can say. This is, this is totally the kind of thing my dad would have said about McDonald's. <laughs> so uh, the, the burger places, we all know the burger places where it's like $15, $18, $20 burgers. Fine. Where would you dig? I can make as good or better a burger at home. That's a total Jack Glover thing to say. I can't make a 1000 of them a day. I can't make Pad Thai. I can't make a steak like Capitol Grill. But we've gone burger Crazy. A little bit,
3: twenty bucks for
1: like and, and and old man stuff. But I just like every time I see that or if I order it because the kids love it. I'm like, yeah, be kidding me.
4: I don't think that's old man stuff. I think it's legit. I, I mean, like think. how how many?
1: <laughs> no, seriously. How hard is it to make a a good burger? Is it sexy that I think that? <laughs> Maybe if I'd never been more attractive. Uh, well, I mean, you know
3: i need andrew to come back for a buffer here because just me being when you guys get into this bit like it's funny but i'm also
2: like (laughs) it's also awkward
3: What do you mean, bit? I'm also a little confused.
1: It feels kind You're of, confused. Uh, feels a little real. I've had a day. I'm eating Cheetos that I sat on and picking up M&Ms off the floor and now I'm hitting on a oh Wheeler. Oh, my gosh. People are
3: so funny on Facebook. I posted that photo of the M&M on yeah. the floor and <laughs> I think his name was Phil said, Andrew will p- pretend to be drunk and eat it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of
3: funny comments on that one. All Thank right, you to everyone who phenomenal. comments on the Facebook page it's very nice. Uh okay,
1: we're heading to our Christmas party which is luck